the way to really judge what kind of partner you have is, is how they manage those problems. You know, did they communicate them to you upfront and accurately? Um, or did you have to hear about them from your customer? You know, did they, did they help you find solutions before trying to assign blame? Welcome to the Food Startups Podcast. You just need the packaging to shout off the shelf. It's a different world when you actually think about adding value. But to be able to play now is definitely going to require some new thinking out there. Hang out with us and learn how to grow your food business. This is episode number 160, the logistics strategy episode. We split this into two parts. So this is part one and part two will be the following week. So check it out. So much to learn here. I think every food startup founder that does not consider logistics a core competency of their business needs to listen to this episode. Super excited. I learned so much. Listeners, this is episode 160. And to be frank, it's long overdue. Thinking about logistics from a strategic standpoint. I've mentioned this with Andrew, who's our guest today, that you know, packaging, marketing, the product itself, all these things we put a lot of time into, but sometimes we're haphazard with logistics or there's things we're not even aware of, opportunities in logistics that were just are outside of our understanding of the very opaque and complicated logistics industry. So we brought in an expert. He is the co-founder and president of Zipline Logistics, an award-winning North American 3PL, third-party logistics, we'll go into that more, a company that specializes exclusively in the transportation of retail consumer goods and food and beverage products. They work with companies like Vitacoco, Chameleon Cold Brew, Avite Water, may have said that wrong, Vegan Rob's, and Barney Butter, as well as international ingredient suppliers. He started his career in carrier procurement and management within a Fortune 100 logistics company. Side note here is a lot of times startups, websites that are flashy and sexy get a lot of the, the press, but when you go onto the Inc. 5000 list, there's a very high percentage of logistics companies, food for thought. Uh, in any event, he is currently responsible for relationship management, data analysis, organizational alignment, and overall strategic direction for the company. Andrew Lynch, thanks so much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. So first off, let's define some terms before I get into this, because I mentioned 3PL, third-party logistics. Zipline is a third-party logistics provider. What does that mean to you when someone says, what is a third-party logistics company? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. So third-party logistics or, or 3PL can really encompass a lot of different aspects of a supply chain. So it can include warehousing. It can include international container shipments on steamship lines. It can include air freight. It can include even even down to sourcing actual production of product overseas. In some cases, I've seen 3PLs fall kind of into all of those different areas. For Zipline, we primarily directly manage transportation. So we offer direct truckload services, LTL services, rail services, and intermodal services, and drayage services from ports throughout North America. Andrew, I'm going to interrupt you there. Just to, let's define a couple of terms. So obviously there's truckload. LTL is less than truckload, meaning a few pallets, but not a, a full truck's worth of shipments. So smaller shipments, correct? 
Yep, anything, up, up one pallet or, or, or larger, one pallet up to usually 10 or 12 pallets would be defined as, as LTL. As less than truckload. Okay, and drayage? Drayage is just the movement of containers from a, the port into a warehouse that gets used for distribution or, or further transportation on the supply chain. Gotcha. So for drayage, just an example, if let's just say uh, you're working with my company and we're bringing in a full container of dried fruit from Columbia into the port of Los Angeles. A drayage service right there would be, okay, we have our warehouse. We need to get, we need a, a company that's authorized to go into the port, pick up that container and, and bring it to the, the warehouse. Yep, exactly. Okay. And intermodal? Uh, intermodal would be a mix of truck and rail. So uh, sometimes that means it's a, it's a trailer on a flat car. Sometimes it means it's an actual like on the road trailer that goes on the rail, or it can mean, you know, trucking product from A to B and then transloading product onto a container at B and railing to final destination. So intermodal is just generally like the mix of truck and rail. Interesting. And I know Warren Buffett's talked about this. I think he invested in railroad companies. People may not be aware, but railroad is is still really, really important in domestic transportation in the United States. It's rocking. Yeah. We, I mean, I want to say that we are moving 130 or 140% more rail freight this year than we were in, in 2014. So just, just three years. So yeah, it's a very fast growing. I mean, it continues to be a mode that is in flux. You know, people find certain times when it's more advantageous than at other times. Uh, it can be really, really susceptible to the commodities industries, right? You can imagine that natural gas pipelines and uh, granaries and, you know, soy and corn, all of those things transport the lowest possible cost, which uh, tends to lend itself towards rail a lot. And, you know, as a result, the rail rail supply and demand ratio tends to be really, really heavily uh, influenced by commodities. Gotcha. Uh, okay. It, you know, certain logistics companies, uh, we'll call them 3PL or, you know, freight companies, they may only do one uh, type of service, meaning maybe they only do, a common ones, they only do full truckloads. But what happens when you want to send a couple of pallets, a smaller amount to a different part of the country, or they may only do certain routes in certain parts of the country. The, one of the advantages I would say of working with a company like Zipline is that you handle everything. So it's not like you have to have 10 relationships with 10 different logistics companies if you're a food startup. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. You know, when we started Zipline, there were a lot of companies in the 3PL space and, and it's, you know, it's, it's a huge industry, of course. So it's extremely segmented. I think the largest provider in, in North America only holds something like 9% of the total market share, and they're a you know, $12 billion market cap. So it's extremely fragmented. And we found that we saw a lot of folks in our space that specialized in you know, rail. Like, so there, there was Pacer. They were, a, they were a big 3PL for a long time, and uh, they've since been acquired by XPO. But they were a rail specialist, you know, or there, there could be a, a flatbed specialist or an LTL specialist. Uh, the way that Echo really used to be when they first opened. And that's great. Uh, But what we really realized was that what you really need are demographic specializations. So with Zipline, what we decided was, hey, you know, people that need really high-touch trucking service, they also need really high-touch rail service and really high-touch LTL service and really high-touch drainage. And define high-touch. So just heavy communication, a lot of transparency, uh, higher service level demands a higher level of touch, meaning we may ship a shipment. Uh, I was just speaking with a customer yesterday about a uh, a load that had, was in transit from Baltimore down to North Carolina. And it, I was talking to them on a Sunday because the receiver is a very small warehouse that opens at six o'clock in the morning and they really needed that truck to be sitting there at 6 a.m. 
And when I went into the shipments notes, I could see that our carrier team, the guys that deal with the trucks, had spoken to someone on this shipment 30 times. So it picked up Friday in Baltimore. This was Sunday. And at 30 different times throughout the last 48 hours, someone had spoken to a driver or a, or a receiver uh, or a dispatcher on the status of that shipment. And that's what I mean, right? So, uh, you know, even on a Sunday, I can look and see exactly where that driver was, maybe late Saturday or earlier that day. And I can have a much more comfortable idea of how that driver is looking at, you know, being on time for that 6 a.m. shipment. So this is interesting from my standpoint with much less experience than, than you, Andrew, but just in my own food business stuff, I've seen that, you know, certain warehouses, deliveries have to be between 6 and 11 a.m. and you must have an appointment. Um, and then you have to confirm with the trucker. And maybe they say, we can only guarantee delivery in between 6 a.m. and 2 p.m. So then as a food startup, like, well, wait a minute, what if they don't get there by 11? And that's just one of many intricacies that you have to deal with. Yes, yes, absolutely. And these, especially retail, they're extremely demanding. And, and for good reason. It's, they're not demanding because they, they just want to be demanding. They're demanding because they have their own supply chains to worry about. They have store shelves to keep stocked based on you know, adverts that they've run on, online or, or in those weekly mailers. You know, so there's a reason for everyone being a bit stricter on the retail side. But yeah, I mean, that, that's an extremely common problem. And that, that just comes down to, you know, having, having a partner that, that knows what it is they're doing. And I think it speaks to the weight that transportation can be around the neck of a, of a startup. You know, it can be such an albatross when you start to realize that there are so many variables where things can go wrong for you in spite of, you know, all of your best efforts and intentions. Right. And I'm, throughout the show, I'm just going to give some of my own anecdotes too, just to show how the attention to detail is so, so important. Yeah. Let's move into this. So, you know, food startups contact you. So when a, a new emerging food startup you know, contacts you, what problems are they facing? So let's start with that. And then I have a, a second question to that. So yeah, what problems are they usually facing a uh, new food startup comes to Zipline? Sure. So the, the impetus is usually one of two uh, core problems. So Core problem A would be my customers are furious with me because my trucks aren't delivering on time and, you know, I need someone that can actually fulfill the promises that I'm making them. So, you know, your customer gives you a 10-day lead time and, you know, you think that because you ship it, you know, LTL four days in advance that you should have no problem getting it there. But just like the anecdote you gave before, uh, you know, due to no, no fault of your own, uh, that specific carrier can't seem to get to that warehouse by 11 a.m. And, and continues causing issues. The other side of it is my carriers aren't picking up. They're not picking up my products. They're giving me a quote, and then I send them the order, and they tell me they can't do it, or they don't have trucks, or, you know, they raise the price on me later on. You know, the bottom line is that emerging brands, really all retail brands, but it's especially painful early they're dealing with a mix of retailers and small distributors primarily. You know, when I think about some of our largest brands that we manage now, when they were very small, their distribution chains looked an awful lot like our very small clients today. You know, I, I might one day deliver to a, a Kroger facility in Atlanta, Georgia, and the next day I might be delivering to literally a storage unit in Charleston, South Carolina, that might be part of a, a marketing kind of grassroots blitz. So really, really broad, diverse group of places that we're delivering to. And as a result, really, really diverse set of expectations. So 
Walmart might put a due date on your product and say, if you're not here on time, 95% of the time, we're going to charge you 3% of the, the invoice total. And that puts one level of pressure on you. But Joe's distributing in South Florida is going to tell you, I need my product at my storage unit in the middle of nowhere on Saturday morning at 9 a.m. And if it's not here, I'm going to call my salesperson over and over again until he picks up the phone and you know let him have it. And that's a whole different kind of pressure. And so what we do is try to help our clients in that space work through setting proper expectations and understanding exactly what it is that, that we're facing with some of these folks so that we can either help set new expectations, right? Advise on coaching Joe's distributor that he can't have his product maybe at eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday at a storage unit, or at least work through, you know, how to get an accurate gauge on how much it costs to deliver on Joe's expectation. And then a lot of times as well, what we find with the most successful brands that we've worked with over the last 10 years is that they want to run lean. If you're making a, a snack mix, a trail mix, you're great at making trail mix. You're great at sourcing raisins. You're great at sourcing candy. You're great at sourcing nuts. And you have an outstanding co-packer that puts them all together in a, in a wonderful, unique flavor and packaging. What you don't need to worry about is chasing down trucks. And it's easy at the onset of a business to say, I only have one or two or three shipments going today. I'm just going to reach out and find the cheapest option for each one. And uh, it's not that much for me to manage. But it doesn't take very long for that scale that scale up to happen to where all of a sudden you're drinking from a fire hose and you're just firing off emails constantly trying to keep track of your shipments. And that's not an optimal situation for anybody, not for production, not for shipping, and probably not for your transportation partners. So I like that. So there's two things that come for that. It's the, the core competence, right? We'll say this uh, trail mix company is great at that at making the amazing trail mix, but they're, they're not experts in logistics. They haven't put the time in to developing the relationships and, and learning how this thing works. So that, I think that's one reason. And then two, it's, it seems that logistics, at least uh, as of now, maybe it will change 20 years from now um, with technology, but as of now, there's always going to be, we'll call them minor problems in the sense that it doesn't seem like a big deal. Like we need X document or we can't send this shipment, but there's a continual uh, stream of these things. And it's not, it's not going to stop as you, as you build your company. And then number two, I thought this was interesting, is what are some, we'll call them problems slash opportunities that, that some of these emerging food startups don't even realize that they have? Well, gosh, I mean, you know, that's sort of endless. But, you know, certainly one real problem I think that people face, especially when it comes to transportation, is that people sell transportation as a commoditized service. I mean, someone calls you and tells you, I can move your product from A to B cheaper than the next guy. That person on the other end of your line that's selling to you also really isn't taking into account all of the things that might go into uh, managing that shipment from A to B and find themselves surprised. So emerging brands deal with a lot of chargebacks. Uh, you know, they deal with literally retailers that charge them money for not fulfilling their product agreements on time. Uh, they deal with fees and accessorials being added to their shipment invoices uh, as a result of expectations not being set the right way, or maybe not having necessarily the most accurate information about their product, the weight and the dimensions. You know, they face very intense pressure from retailers to fit within that retailer's guidelines of expectations. And one thing that we're starting to see more and more of that even larger brands, as we look back, have started to realize that that they were victims of is 
um, retailers pushing suppliers into uh, CPU relationships, which means like customer pickup. So telling that trail mix provider, you know, hey, we're Costco, we're better at handling transportation than you are. Here's a lower price for your for your trail mix, and in exchange for the discount, we'll pick it up ourselves. And that's a really really safe space for people, right? All of a sudden. You know, you've got one variable taken off the table, which is what is my transportation cost going to be? And it may, you know, you may find yourself in a low margin situation with Costco, but at least you know exactly how those numbers are going to play out when it when it's time to to balance your uh, your your budget. The problem is that Costco is making money off that transportation, and whoever Costco is using is making money off that transportation. So the odds are that you're paying for somebody's markup. And there are a whole slew of problems that come along with allowing someone to, to pick up their product instead of, uh, you know, you managing yourself, including the way that it can affect your production timelines and your shipping and fulfillment timelines for other customers. Because now all of a sudden Costco's truck wants to come in, maybe when another smaller customer's truck wants to come in and you have a choice to make. So that can be a very fraught situation. Interesting. And, and Andrew, I will say one thing. So I, I just want to look at it from both sides. And so, yeah, I, a lot of times I don't think about the, for the trucking companies, what they have to deal with as well. They have thousands and thousands of customers. And unless you're a really, really big company, they're not really making that much money off you, but you know, off one food startup per se. Um, and I do understand that if uh, you, know, you have a thousand companies that each bring in 0.1%, it's hard to give so much attention to one. So I, I do want to pay attention to that side, but also from a food startup side, a lot of times, a lot of these deals, uh, you, you say, okay, we're going to send some pallets of dried fruit to, to Oakland. Can you get it there in 30 days? And it's hard to figure out and you, you think about it and you're like, yeah, I can do it. So I think a lot of startups kind of, they, they, they gamble a little bit saying, yeah, I can make it happen. And you, and there, to a certain extent, Andrew, you do kind of have to gamble uh, when, when you're starting out to, to make some things happen. Uh, and take some risk to gain business. But it seems like another advantage is when you have poor logistics with, uh, with a retailer or a distributor, it can fray the relationship. So when you get everything streamlined uh, and, and working well, it also helps improve the supplier-retailer relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we, we try to, to point out to our clients that um, transportation is almost always just looked at as a cost center. And, you know, I, I think that that is a little bit of a, a short-sighted view, right? You should, you should view logistics as, you know, a place that can create opportunities too and that can capture new margin. And, you know, you mentioned freight relationships. You know, I, I've seen customers or clients of ours that have severed ties with large customers that, that actually picked up their own freight because there wasn't enough margin on the product, right? You just realize, hey, maybe I sold to BJ's Wholesale at a lower price because I really wanted the business and they're picking it up uh, themselves. And so I thought it was going to be, you know, simpler and more predictable, but then they start to realize that the taxation on their production line or, um, on the rest of their supply chain makes it a, you know, a less viable account and taking a step back and taking a, a better analytical look at, at what the real transportation costs maybe would have been had they kept them in house or how else we could have fit that customer into their current, you know, distribution chain. Uh, might have changed the math on those accounts and made them actually more profitable than they look. And that's a place that I think you can only get to when you have a, a, a 3PL that you truly operate with as a partner and not just as a vendor. And that's the message, especially with emerging brands, that we really try to push. It's chasing pennies, chasing the cheapest truck on every shipment. That's a tactic. And uh, we always like to use the the, the quote that 
you know, strategy without tactics is the slowest path to victory, but tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. So it's essentially saying, yeah, you can use this tactic of going and finding the cheapest truck every single time, but it's not really going to get you anywhere in the broader sense of, of where you're trying to go. But taking a really strategic approach, letting someone take ownership of that piece of your business and being accountable to you, of course, uh, but being accountable to you as a partner. And that puts everyone in a position to be more transparent uh, and more creative about how they solve those problems. You know, you talked about delivering a, a container full of produce up into Oregon, I feel like you said. But where that can go wrong when you're treating transportation tactically is that, you know, yes, you have 30 days to get it there, and you know that uh, your container is going to come in and it's going to take 20 days. Um, and that's going to leave you with 10 days to get the product from the port to its final destination in Oregon. And now you have to, you know, the product has to come in, be FDA cleared, delivered to your warehouse, cross-stocked, and reloaded onto something. And when you send your transactional just trucker the order that says, hey, pick up from my warehouse in Houston and pick it up on Friday and deliver my product to Oregon on, uh, on Monday, because that's when it's due, that transactional transportation company might just take your order the way that they do take everyone else's order and put the order on the board and then tell you, hey, it's illegal transit time for us to deliver this on Monday. If you wanted this to deliver on Monday, you should have shipped this on Wednesday or Thursday, right? So now you're receiving that information a little bit too late for you to react. Uh, and that might drive your costs up if you actually want to achieve what it was that you promised your customer, or it might cost you that customer relationship because you, you may choose because of, of a, a lack of transparent budgeting to deliver a day late. And those are the kind of positions that we spend a lot of our time trying to coach our clients away from. Don't put yourself in that position. Uh, and if you treat me as a partner and allow me to be an active part of your business, I can guide you on those decisions throughout. I really like that. So there's the you say like, you know, chasing pennies, there's these hidden costs, right? The hidden costs of the, we'll say transaction relationship, but the truck comes and says, hey, we couldn't pick up Friday, whatever reason, um, or we picked up Monday, but it's at, uh, what are they called? You know, like the, where a trucking company has different centers around. Uh, so it's like, it's in Portland right now, but uh, they didn't pick it up today for whatever reason. And all of a sudden you, you lose in the business. There's these hidden costs. Like what is the cost of of uh, losing this business as opposed to paying an extra $90 um, and making sure it's on time. And then also as a, as a founder at a food startup, what is the cost of, because it didn't get picked up Friday, Friday night, kind of like not being able to go out to dinner with your friends, maybe you want to relax and having to be just waiting in a reactive mode. I'll call it the reactive mode where we're waiting for an email from that truck or your call, you left the voicemail and you're waiting for it. And you have to keep checking your email literally every five minutes, which I'm sure a lot of people listening have done before. You know, that, that's a, a cost as well. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a huge cost. We, we like to frame up some of these conversations as like in the way that um, like luxury car makers used to, like total cost of ownership. I think it's an interesting way to look at it. It's like, did you, did you buy a, a Lexus or a, or a Toyota because it, uh, even though it was more expensive than, you know, the Ford Fiesta you could have bought, because it doesn't need repairs as often, it doesn't need as much maintenance, it doesn't break, and uh, and it just overall runs cheaper. That's a lot of where we get to with clients, especially around specialization. When someone's like, "Well, why, why is it better to, that that you're a specialist?" You know, if I if I give my load to ABC Carrier, seven out of ten times it goes just as well as when I do when I give it to you. And and you know, our response is, "Well, how much do those other three cost you?" 
you know, what, what does it cost you to have an angry customer um, or to not have your product on shelves? I mean, that's the number one priority of almost every single food and bev client we have is I need my product on shelves. If I own shelf space and it's empty, uh, that's horrendous for me from both a marketing and, and bottom line perspective. Right on. And you mentioned cross-docking. I just want to find cross-docking. The way I understand it is it could, be, it could be a full container, right? It comes in, you have a bunch of pallets. And Crosstalk's like, okay, let's send three pallets to this distribution center in New York, four to this store, and another five to maybe uh, a distributor in Ohio or something, right? The Crosstalking is kind of receiving a big shipment and then splitting into smaller shipments. And there's companies that specialize in that. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, Crosstalking, I would traditionally really think of as more of a more of a, a more of a mode switch situation. So um, a product coming in on a full container and that full container is going to probably end up going directly to one customer. So it's a, you know, it's a full container of one SKU or it's a full container of, you know, one product line that one customer buys. And what you're doing is essentially taking all of the, con- the product off the container, putting almost all or almost all of it um, onto a truck within a day or two. So you're really not, you're really not bringing that into inventory. So, uh, you know, you, you might use that in a, if, if you're trying not to pay the in, the in and out cost on every pallet at your warehouse. You might instead find a cross stock, pull the product off your container and, and ship it full truckload. Right. So it's like, so maybe changing from, we'll say ocean to, to trucking in the sense that uh, I just want to go over this again for listeners that haven't done this before. The whole idea is that, okay, a full container, let's just say 20 pallets come in um, or 10 pallets, maybe a 20 foot container. And instead of paying the fees and setting up the times to, uh, cause you have to pay per pallet that goes into the warehouse and then have someone pick it up for it. But you know, it's going directly to a client, a cross stocking company will, will do that for you. So you don't have to put it into your warehouse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I want to follow up on, on one thing here. So when, uh, containers come to port, one thing I've learned, uh, another hard lesson is that you have to, the devil's in the details in the sense that certain trucking companies, they say, Oh yeah, we can do a, we can ship a, a full container for your, uh, whether it's 10 or 20 pallets, however many pallets it is from, from LA to Oakland. But you mentioned this thing in drayage, but the last minute, this happened to me before last minute is, oh, okay. Yeah, we can definitely pick up um, from LA and bring it to Oakland, but um, the port of LA, we can't pick up from, meaning that you need to find one of these crosstalk companies to you just take the, the container from a couple miles to it, and then we can pick up from there. And, uh, and, and it's just things that you learn as you, as you grow, right? So a lot of times the specifics of a, a trucking company, they, um, they may not be able to do the whole, the, the whole process needed. They can only do one part of the process, but you might think they can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very common. And, and that can go the other way too. You know, I mean, you could, you could mistakenly hire a drayage carrier to pick up from your port in LA and deliver it up to Oakland and they'll charge you, you know, $4,000 because, <laughs> because that's not what they do. Um, so that, you know, that can go in both directions, but yeah, just like anything else, uh, the ports are a, a different animal than any other shipper. Um, you don't have standard trucks with standard trailers going in and out of those locations to get loaded. You have to get those containers out of the port environment and into uh, either a cross dock or a warehouse or onto a rail car, right? I mean, uh, you know, it's a, you can go straight from a, a port onto a, onto a rail car, but yeah, one way or the other, uh, a standard, you know, over the road trucking company is, is unlikely to offer that same service. Great point. And the other thing that you mentioned, and I'm sure 
most people listening that face this is when companies specialize in something, what they'll do is they'll outsource it and maybe mark it up 100 or 200%. And it could be for years that you're paying like, why was I paying you know, a $500 or $600 charge for this every time? If I would have done directly, I would have paid 200. And I think there's a lot of surprises like that uh, in logistics for sure. There certainly are. Yeah. And, and I think that that is actually probably especially prevalent in the LTL environment. And since I think a lot of uh, our listeners today are, are probably spending a lot of their time in the LTL environment, that's something that is typically learned the hard way is that a semi-regional or a, or a broad regional LTL provider may provide quotes for service into or out of destinations and origins that they don't actually directly service. And they call that interline agreements. So FedEx might interline with a small uh, southeastern LTL provider in order to handle pickups out of Charleston, South Carolina. I mean, that's pro- that's don't quote me on any of those names because that's probably not accurate because I'm sure FedEx touches everything. But you know, in the end, uh, what what people don't realize is that there's a loss of control. You're you're calling your rep at said company that you entrusted to pick up this product from this shipper, and they in turn have to turn around and call someone else uh, to try to find out. Um, where that truck actually is, uh, and the the, uh, the telephone game, you know, when you have that many many different products and and units on the on the streets, it's very difficult to keep it accurate, and we find that our customers fall victim to that very often before uh, allowing us to take a, a greater level of control. Right, and it, again, uh, going back to how complicated and opaque the industry is, it's just so hard to know, right? And and which brings me to my next question, and uh, feel free to rephrase this, but for Zipline, what would you define as a, and I put this in quotes here, a good trucking company, as well as a good warehouse uh, uh, solution? Yeah, so for us, I mean, as far as actual trucking companies go, you know, Zipline, we operate sort of a, on the on one level above that. So, um, you know, we're more of an overall transportation partner. So we choose uh, trucking companies on behalf of our clients, and we choose them very carefully. We have a, a, a very... Uh, deep and unique uh, qualification process that judges, you know, not just how many trucks the carrier has or whether or not they're based in an advantageous place for us, but also how high quality is their insurance? Uh, what's their safety management program look like? You know, what sort of accountability measures do they have in place uh, for failure to meet expectations? And are they willing to, um, in our case, step up to the, the high expectations of the retail uh, delivery environment? The way that we judge that is purely around really how seriously a carrier takes their business. You know, do they have a really quality uh, insurance certificate? You know, does it does it ex- have no ex- exclusions on it? Do they have a you know a, a low deductible and a high cargo limit? How seriously do they take safety management and driver management? Um, all of these things, just like in any other business, you judge how seriously someone takes themselves by how they manage the details. And so that's how we that's how we qualify our trucking companies. As far as, you know, for our listeners, I would say that qualifying, you know, what makes a a good transportation provider or a good uh, transportation service is all about, you know, transparency, both on good and bad. So something is going wrong or um, maybe something isn't planned very well. Maybe a shipper or a customer isn't in the best position to to succeed with their customer. Someone who's willing to point those, those issues out before they become problems. And again, that goes back to, to true partnership, someone who's really willing to be um, an active partner with you. It's very proactive communication, letting people know that there are problems in transit. I can tell you that 
Like I mentioned, we touched a shipment 30 times. You know, things still go wrong. It is trucking. It's people. It's machines. It's schedules um, all coming together, you know, hopefully perfectly. But uh, at the end of the day, there are problems in spite of all of your best efforts. And the way to really judge what kind of partner you have is, is how they manage those problems. You know, did they communicate them to you up front and accurately? Um, or did you have to hear about them from your customer? You know, did they, did they help you find solutions before trying to f- assign blame? I guess kind of the same things that you would look at in a, uh, an employee or a, or a business partner. Um, and then setting expectations appropriately. Um, you know, not being an order taker. We talk with our, our operations people, our customer service people, and our salespeople. You know, anyone can be an order taker. You know, Uber Freight is an order taker, right, at the end of the day. But that's not what our customer needs. There are, I'm sure there are plenty of customers that need order takers. But for, for folks who serve retail and folks that serve consumer products, you really need someone on the other end of that uh, line to set expectations um, correctly so that everyone can operate in their own best interests and in the best interests of their clients. All right. This concludes part one of our logistics strategy podcast. Part two will be next week. So please tune in. And if you're listening to this at a later date, part two should be available on our website at foodstarbspodcast.com slash zipline two. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, find us online at foodstartupspodcast.com.